Uh, good morning, North Shore. How are you? Good, good, good. I need you, Bruce, today, okay? I was talking to some of you before the service, and um, just when I thought it couldn't get any, any more weird in our country, it gets extra weird, right? Um, what a week, and I can't tell you how happy I am to be in church. So those that are here live, I love you. It's good to see you. There's some new faces I haven't seen in a while. Uh, it's good to see you. Those online, we love you. Thank you for hanging with Jesus in this crazy time. Uh, I'm starting to get this, um, I don't know what you call it. I don't want to use the word fear. This pondering, how's that? <laughs> that we keep talking about 2020. I hope it doesn't start sneaking into 2021, right? Come on. But we're going to be found where? Eyes on Jesus, right? Uh, so we are continuing our series, looking at, you know, our, our clarification, our new vision. As you've been joining with us, you probably see how there's some things that are the same and some things that are new. So it's just beautiful time for us to look deep in to who God has called us as North Shore to be and the things that he have us to do. So love the series. I'm excited about it. As I was preparing for this week's message, I came across a quote by Dr. David Jeremiah, a pastor. And he said this, for a church to achieve the mission that Christ has for it, what that will take is individuals catching the vision themselves and walking that out. So I want to invite you into this series not even just this sermon, invite you to that as well, this entire series, that you would step into it personally, not just listening to the message and say, boy, that's good. Here's another banner up there and great church slogan, and I like it or I don't like it. No, this is to be something that is lived out, and it's the only place that it has any power is when we put it at the feet of the cross and step into it with our individual lives. So North Shore, I'm excited. So let's step in this together. Uh, as you know, we're kind of doing a topical study on this vision. But if you want a place to land, John chapter 13. So feel free to turn to John 13 and let me pray. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we do want to step into it individually, individually collectively. Father, I want to see you do a powerful work in your name, by your power, not ours. But I do understand it'll take me to personally live that vision out. It'll take each of us, those sitting before me, those online, to live this out. And Father, I know you'll bring honor and glory to your son, Jesus Christ, through that. So we step in now, and we trust you, and know you will do a good work. So I pray today's message, you'd stir in our hearts, and you'd call us closer to you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, in the way of review, as we looked at our new vision and mission, we started off with a motto we called a compelling statement or snapshot of our church, who we are and what we believe. If you just take a quick look at us, and that is hope changes everything. We are a people group that believe that hope, capital H, Jesus, the person hope, changes everything. He can change every situation. He can change our heart. He can change 
our, our strength. He can give us the ability to see beyond current circumstances and give us the strength to walk through it. Hope can change everything, and we believe that, and it's a message our world needs to hear right now. But it's not a new message, is it? Absolutely not. So we're just going to, from the rooftops, shout out, we believe hope changes everything. And in that, God's given us a vision. And that's a vision to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. To see that change that the hope through Jesus brings one person at a time. To hold each individual in high value and press in with this powerful gospel as it works in our lives, and we give it away. And we started stepping into how are we going to see this vision out? And that's what we call our mission path, our mission statement. And it's a series of four statements. And we looked at the first one the previous two weeks to radically love Jesus. Excuse me, to radically pursue Jesus. <laughs> I got it. To radically pursue Jesus. It's to seek and follow with our whole heart the only one that's worthy of that, and that's Jesus Christ. And then Tyler last week took us, of how do we do that? What are some elements that, that God uses to send us toward Jesus? We looked at the word, prayer, and worship, and he did an amazing job, and I love it. So we're looking at mile marker two, and that is to radically love one another. After we passionately pursue Jesus, the next step is to radically love one another. So when I say love, what do you think of? Take just a second. What do you think of when I say love? So we're going to look... At A is love. And we're going to look at the importance of love. And we're going to see what John, what Paul, and what Jesus have to say about love. Now, in your notes, you'll notice John is not listed because I know who you're thinking. This isn't the John that you're thinking, what he has to say about love. I'm thinking of John Lennon, okay? Now, John Lennon in 1967, okay? He was asked to write a song for what they called the Our World Project. It was the very first worldwide simulcast ever. And they said, okay, we need to get a message to the world. The Beatles were really popular back then. So, John, what is the most important thing in the world? What does the whole world need to hear? How many of you know what song he wrote? Let's see. <laughs> okay. It's, there, I see a couple of our gray hairs <laughs> slide their hand up. It was this song, All You Need Is Love. Okay? All you need. What he was saying is the most important thing for the world to understand is love. So when I ask you, what do you think about love? What comes to your mind? What do you think of? I'm guessing it's somebody, something, God, Jesus, 
spouse, children, something, right? Something of high, high value. I think that was universal here. The importance of love. You all see that. And we see that taught through Scripture because John Lennon's idea, hey, we need love, is not a new idea. It was not a new idea in 1967. Scripture talks about it a lot. In the New Testament, besides Jesus himself, it's the most common theme in the Scriptures is love. So the Apostle Paul, he tells us how important love is. In Colossians 3.14, there in that chapter, chapter 3, Paul is talking about us as Christians and what our lives should look like. What does it look like to walk with God? And what should you clothe yourself with? And he lists some virtues that we understand, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, these things. Then he says this in verse 14, Colossians 3.14. Above all, above all these things, the most important thing is love. Above all else, put on love. Paul's saying this is the most important thing because it binds all things together in perfect harmony. If I knew more about music, I'd give you an amazing music illustration right now because I know it's there somewhere. So you musicians out there, you just think of it. But it brings it all together in harmony. He says make it the top priority, the first thing is love. That's how important love is. Then he continues with just this idea and the theme of Scripture. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The love chapter, we've heard it. But as that chapter goes on, he gets to a point where he starts talking about eternal things, the things that will remain. He says, these three things are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And what does he say about love? The greatest of these, the greatest of these eternal things. So this is, you know, the things that elevate to an eternal state. The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Why is that? Faith is pretty important. Hope is pretty important, right? Why is love the greatest? 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us. See, love is a byproduct of something. It's a byproduct of God's love for us. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. And through Jesus, he poured himself into us. And then the overflow of that is the love that we have in the world around us. So what happens is why is love the greatest thing? Because love points to where we get, what is our standard for love? And for us as believers, it's Jesus Christ. And that, in turn, informs our faith and our hope. It leads us to true faith and to true hope if we understand the depths of love. That's why love is the greatest thing for us. 
Jesus. Uh oh. Stay with me. But Jesus also talks about Matthew 22. Uh, what he says about the importance of love. He is asked in Matthew 22, verse 34. Teacher, they say, and they're trying to trap him. I mean, so often the questions that come to Jesus with these great answers that we still quote today are people trying to trap him. And he gives wisdom that just knocks them back, right? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What is that thing that we should pursue? What should be the top pursuit for us? What should we seek out? And you know what he says. What's he say? Here's the greatest commandment. Is to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind. Love God. And the second is like it, he says. To love your neighbor as yourself. Because everything ever taught hangs on those things. They ask for one command, or two commands, he gives them one. Because you cannot separate them. The two go hand in hand. And you've heard this often. That our vertical relationship with Jesus um, is connected to our horizontal relationship with people around us. And so what happens, what Jesus says, this is the greatest thing, love. That becomes for us a lens for us to see how our vertical relationship, as we look at our horizontal, or if we look at our horizontal relationships, relationship with one another, it's an indicator of how our love is with Jesus, and do we understand this? And so it becomes a gauge for us. I love this. It's okay, don't worry. It becomes a gauge for us of how is our love doing. See, we use other gauges often, and they're not adequate gauges. Sometimes we use church attendance. I go to church every week. But see, that doesn't fully measure engagement with God, does it? We might even look at how long we've attended church. I've been going to church for 40 years. But see, that doesn't fully measure transformation. Has your life changed because you've encountered this God? So you can sit somewhere for 10 years, 20 years, and not change, meaning not encounter this powerful, loving God. Bible knowledge. You might be able to quote every Bible and scripture in the New Testament. I don't know. But see, what that doesn't fully measure is your heart for God. It's a great test for your mind. And these are not unimportant, so do not mishear me. But they're not adequate to fully gauge our love for God. Even giving. You know, that doesn't fully measure our faith, does it? See, what love checks for us, it answers this question, is do we understand Jesus' love for us? It checks how deep in our heart and our life we are allowing Jesus to work. And in turn, it becomes this overflowing, once we understand, like, wow, we get what Jesus did for me. 
where I was, and then he came and in a beautiful way sought me out and bought me on the cross with his blood and his life to go to the tomb and give me new life. When we totally understand that, then we give it away. We understand that we need to be a living example of that. And that's when we fully get what Jesus did. And what happens is that's why love is the perfect gauge. Because it is measuring things much deeper than these boxes that you could check. So let's keep going here. Point B here. Now Jesus takes his love in us and through us. And he takes that. And he makes it a centerpiece for a new community that he establishes. And we look at the one another's there. This new community. See, in the New Testament, God uses the one another statements to address this new community that he's going to establish in his love. And there's well over 50 of them, and primarily they're appointed to this new community, which is the church. And what he wants for the church and for those that engage that one another community. So let's look at him, how he builds this community. So Jesus comes to earth, gets up to the right age to be a rabbi, and begins to establish this new community. And the old community is kind of a sad community, right? Sadducees, Pharisees, right? These are the religious people at the time, these God followers. They were driven by the law and rules and legalism. They were self-isolating and turning on one another. That's what this community that Jesus came in, and he said, no, I'm going to start a new community. So he seeks out 12 men. We know them as the apostles, disciples, and he takes these 12 men, these group, I don't even know what to call them, this, this motley crew of men, this diverse group, and he's going to use them to build this new community that we celebrate today and that we are today. You know, they were different in so many different ways. In their personalities, you had some strong and boisterous members of this first community. And there are some that were meek and mild. We rarely hear anything from them in Scripture. Different professions. There's businessmen. There's tradesmen. There's different, even faith practices in this way. They, they were followers of God. They were Jewish. But some were following a rabbi. That's where they're found, just all committed. Others were just living out a typical, everyday faith. And then politically, uh, there is an activist, you know, a tax collector, partnered with Rome. Then there is a zealot, a person that was against. They were an activist against Rome, not for Rome, but they're actively against it and wanted to destroy Rome and anger. You know, and I was just thinking about this point. What a picture. Do you think there's a little division politically right now in our world? <laughs> Come on. 
That should be a, a hearty amen, right? Lots of division. And here's the thing, and I don't want to, I mean, our, our country's divided, but you know what is really sad? It's ripping our churches apart. So it's ripping our churches apart. The conversations I have, the conversations I see uh, of followers of Jesus allowing politics to rip them apart. Here's what I believe. I believe it breaks Jesus' heart. As I sit back and I just think of it, I'd imagine, much like at Lazarus' grave, when he saw the people acting out and he wept, I've got to believe he's weeping, watching churches divide over man's pursuit of politics and all this. But ultimately here, this division of these apostles, this new community that he's establishing, did not let their difference divide them or define them. This little pack that he started, he said, okay, here, it's my startup, right? This new community we're doing. We see ultimately they let love define them. And they let love bind them to one another so they could fulfill the mission that Jesus had for them. And see, we must understand in this landscape that we're in right now that Jesus calls us the church. We are this new community. We grew out of that, these 12. And we need to not let the woes of this world divide us or define us. The opposite should be true. Do you think these 12, this new community, was birthed in a time of great political division and unrest and persecution? Yes, yes. And it gets worse than this. And Christians are still defined, these, this new community, by Jesus, by love, and not by division. So that's our call. So as Jesus gets ready to launch this new community, this 12, let's take a peek. And you're probably already at John 13, and we'll kind of be there just a second. So we see them being human. Uh, and this is in Luke 22. We see some tension there. As he begins to prepare them, he's establishing the Lord's Supper, Passover there. And they're at the table, and you know, he institutes it. And all of a sudden, a dispute rises among them. And they start wondering, well, who's going to be regarded as the greatest in this community? And going forward, as we take over the world, uh, who's going to be the greatest? Now, before you judge them, you know, boy, I, I, I found myself sometimes just losing focus of Jesus. Sometimes, when I know he's right here, but I lose focus. So these are just people being people without a Jesus focus. But Jesus does something amazing. And this is the beginning of John 13. What he does is they're arguing. He stands up, takes off his outer garment, grabs a towel, and humbles himself, and loves them, cares for them, serves them, and kneels down and begins to wash their feet. 
one of the great acts of humbling yourself. Because you can just imagine what their feet were probably like. And that climate, that culture, and he washes their feet. And they, no, 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 they are shocked. You can't do this. And you know, I must do this. And he ultimately tells them this. Verse 13, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He gives this amazing example of what this new community is going to be like. It's a foot-washing community of loving, serving each other. And he says, let me tell you about this new community, how it's going to be defined, how people will recognize it. John 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He says, there is a new culture. This new community is going to be nothing like what you grew up, what you see around you. It's going to be defined by the love of Jesus. And that love of Jesus is going to overflow out of this community and impact it. That's how people will identify this new community. You as my followers and me as their Savior is by this community. And like most humans, they're slow learners. Took them a little while to get going here. But eventually in Acts, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, you see them. They got it. They lived it. And they begin to pour this message into the people. And you see in Acts 2 and Acts 4 that there's this new community that expands, the one that Jesus started and then launched in that upper room in John 13. And so there's going to be a new culture. They passed it on, and we see it expand and begin to expand and ultimately all over the world and here. This community pressed into Jesus. They poured themselves into one another, love define them. Love bound them together, and thousands of them were added daily. Thousands. That's how powerful love is. See, it was love that caught my heart. You know, kind of an older college guy, and this small community of believers came in, and my wife over here, uh, they just started loving us. They didn't try to change our thinking you know, argue this point, that point. You know, give us the, the rational ideas of the Christian faith. Nope. We just observed a community that loved each other. It's like, boy, there's something different about that. And that drew our heart, and that's what God used. And then ultimately through that heart, my mind changed, my life changed, and long-term brought us here. So we are to be a, a new community. A different community that was started way back then that's not divided and that's defined by love. That's the church. That's what North Shore Christian Church should be thought of. When people look from afar, it says, that is a community that loves one another. That's a community that loves one another because they know a God that loves them. And I want to know about that. That's where hope is born. So how do we go about this community of loving one another? 
Well, point C, radically. And that's a word nowadays that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> radically. And it's the extreme calling of radical. I take you to 1 Peter 4.8. It'll be on the screen here. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That word earnestly, it's the only time that word in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, okay? The only time that word is found in the New Testament. If you have another translation besides the ESV or some other time, look it up. Um, they don't even know how to translate that word. It is such an uncommon word. And so you look into what does this mean? There's this long list of different things it means. It, it, it means far-reaching. It means um, radical, deeply, fervently, all these things. It says somewhere different. This is an uncommon word. Our love is to be uncommon. It is to be radical, extreme. And he says this, that radical love covers a multitude of sin. Now what he's not saying is that it forgives sin. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. But what it does, that love is so powerful and it understands Jesus so well that it engages sinners. It builds community. It offers a place where the sinner can taste and see that God is good. And they come toward it. So that's it. It basically paves a way for community. Far-reaching. Extreme. Listen to Matthew 5, verse 43 through 44. And you'll recognize this, most of you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is extreme calling, right? This is where Jesus is blowing their minds. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Our calling, our love calling, Christians, there's not a better word. It is radical. It is extreme. It is uncommon. It's far-reaching. Next week, we're going to step into part two of this message, and we're going to really look at this idea of what it means to love your enemies. It's going to be challenging, but beautiful. It's the teachings of Jesus. Just imagine what they were hearing, how tough this teaching was. Like, whoo, radical, extreme, yes. Jesus, in Matthew 18, gives a picture of what this, this extreme calling in the area of forgiveness. Peter goes to him and says, Jesus, if a brother, a fellow believer, sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? He says, seven? Because the custom in the Jewish culture was to forgive somebody three times. So when Peter said seven, look what he was doing. I'm going to double that, add one, and I'm going to get some kind of merit badge. I know it. Here it comes. And what Jesus says is, no. It's more radical than that. It's more extreme than that. It's going to knock your socks off. It might even scare you a little bit. 
I say 77 times. Some translations, seven times 70, but the point is the same. Extreme. Radical. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, talking about Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, they're getting it. Deep into scriptures, they're understanding this, and they say, we need to lay our life down for our brother, our whole life. Because what he's saying in 1 John, all through this here in chapter 3, is that we understand what Jesus did. Why are we called to radically love one another, extremely love? Because it's the only thing that could come close to bearing witness to what Jesus did for us. If someone wants to know how much Jesus loves them, how far he would go for them, the only thing, the closest thing we can do to give that example is to do something radical and extreme. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. Yet while we were still sinners, rebels against Jesus, traitors, Jesus died for us. It's radical. The story that we have is radical. And the only way to bear witness to that is by radically loving one another. And it starts inside these walls, church, and then it overflows into the community. And they got to do a great work. I want to end this section with this and then give you a challenge. We will see our communities changed through hope in Jesus, when we have a community, a church, that overflows with radical love for one another. And I asked North Shore, how are we loving one another? How is this new community doing? It's a great gauge of how we are doing in our walk with Jesus Christ. And I think you're with me. I want to pass that test. Amen? Amen. Because I want to know all of Jesus. When I know all of Jesus, then he'll overflow out of me. I'll know it, and you'll know it. So our challenge comes out of John 8. We'll give you some, some, some things to think about. And we're going to look at Jesus when he radically loved one of his, one of his, one another's. It's a story you know. Woman caught in adultery. So Jesus is in the temple teaching. And a group of men bring this woman they caught in adultery before him. And they're trying, again, they're trying to test him, get him. And again, he knocks him back with amazing truth. They say, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. So we follow the law of Moses and stone her and, and kill her right here. Jesus does something amazing, right? He bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. Oh, wouldn't you love to see the transcript of that? <laughs> we don't have it, but we know the power of it. And they keep asking him. He keeps writing. And one by one, oh, he says this, he who is without sin casts the first stone. And so what happens is, and I love this, Oldest first, they start leaving, right? Some of my friends that are 50 plus, the list of how I've let God down and sinned, unfortunately, is way too long. 
and then it drifts. And they start taking and walking away. And then uh, Jesus looks at her says, who is condemning you? She says, no one. And so what happens is, he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And two challenges I want for you, okay, is this. Is first, as we learn from Jesus, is to be available. Be available. And a buddy of mine, Kevin, who is discipling me, taught me this idea that we see Jesus living out here. And this idea of love shows up. Love shows up. That means Jesus could have made every excuse there was, right? He was busy, he was teaching. Hey, that's your problem, not my problem. But what Jesus did is he made himself available. He showed up. And my disciple taught me this. And in that, I learned this idea of showing up. Even when you don't have the answers, there's just a list of excuses. And there's a time when I remember I really stepped into this. I did it a few different times. When I really got that teaching as he discipled me about love shows up, I got notified when I was on Orcas Island of a young girl that used to be in my youth group, uh, kind of drifted from God, but she lost her baby. They were off island, and the baby passed. And as I was sitting in my driveway and I got that message, I thought, you know, they've got to take care of their stuff. That's, you know, tragic and all this, and I don't know what I would say. And I just, all these excuses. And remember, Kevin said, love shows up. That's what Jesus did. So, Scott, love shows up. Don't have to have all the answers. So, okay, so I called her dad because I had his number. And he answers. And then he says, she's right here. You want to talk to her? And he hands her the phone. I didn't know what to say. I was nervous. I was scared. And I just said, Jenny Scott, we just started talking. And she says, the baby's name was Seth, is in my lap. I'm saying goodbye. I was overwhelmed with tears. So was she. I didn't have the right answers. I didn't have the, the, the great verse to give her. Just two people sitting there in the name of Jesus. And he did this beautiful, powerful thing. You know, I mean, unexplainable, terrible moment. But love showed up and did this thing that I couldn't even explain. So we need to be like Jesus and be available and show up for one another. Oh, the excuses are long of why not to, but we're called to step in, to be available. And the, the next thing I really see here in this idea of be a hero. Jesus is a hero in this story, right? And he will always be the hero. So we're never going to rise up to the Jesus thing, but we could be his hands and his feet. We can point to this hero. We can create safe places. He didn't walk in there and start rattling off the law, right? The law says that she deserved to die. He didn't bring that. He laid those weapons down, created a safe place, put himself in harm's way publicly, and brought the beautiful weapon of love. He also did this. He rose above all the things, the anger, the hate that filled that moment. Right? Remember, he was a, a Jew too. He knew Moses' law. But he put aside any anger, hate, condemnation 
and he brought mercy and grace, forgiveness, and restoration to her. See, he, he stepped up. He's a hero. He rose above. And we need more heroes to love one another. We need them in our churches. We need them in our homes, in our marriage relationships, in our families, in our community. People who will lay down their weapons and their rights and their desire to be right in order to bring love and restoration. That's what we see Jesus do here. So I got one question as I wind down here for you. How many of you think that this woman, Jesus encountered there, this adulterous woman, stayed the same? Dusted herself off and just kept doing the same stuff she was doing before. I'm going to guess none of you. And why? Because you know, you believe in the power of love over in the power over the Old Testament law. You believe that love changes things. You believe that Jesus can do radical things when people step in and radically love one another. You believe that. So our call, church, is to individually step into that. Be that. Let Jesus do that with us. And then in turn, step out and do that with one another inside these walls and ultimately outside these walls so that the world may know this Jesus, this powerful, loving, radical Jesus who came to save the world of their sins. North Shore, let's be that community. Josh and Britt are going to, or Benedicta are going to lead us in the closing song. So I just encourage you, where have you maybe fell short, maybe let the trappings of this world or whatever get distracted and forget your first love. Or maybe not offered that first love that you have to others. Let's make this a moment of reflection and prayer and then step into where God calls you. I love you, No Shore.